amazing. Thank you all for singing out with us this morning. Thank you for giving out to our church. And if you have a Bible, and I hope you do, I'd love for you to open up to Mark chapter 1 this morning. We're going to read from verses 14 through 20 to get us started today. And uh, just want to say up front, we're all friends here, right? I love y'all. I love y'all. Y'all love me. Just remember that after the service in case you feel something different than love, right? Uh, for me, not for each other. I think everybody walk out of here loving each other more than ever, but uh, maybe, maybe not me. But uh, I think we'll have a good time this morning. Um, <laughs> you'll understand later on. Um, no, we always have a great time with God and His Word, uh, and we're going to conclude our series, We Believe. Um, Maybe saved the best for last, maybe saved um, the most challenging for last, um, but we've had a great five week, four weeks so far. I think we'll finish it off uh, with a really awesome time around God's Word, and we're going to learn a lot today and, and hopefully learn something very important about what Jesus wants at the center of all of our lives, the top of all of our lists. Uh, Mark chapter 1, verse number 14 uh, this is Mark telling Peter's version of the story, or Simon Peter's version of the story. So Peter's telling Mark what to write, as the Spirit of God inspired both of them. And Peter's letting us know, hey, this is what I remember about following Jesus, or how I met Jesus specifically. Now, after John the Baptist was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God, and saying, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent, and believe in the gospel. And as he walked by the sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. And then when he'd gone a little farther from there, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, John, his brother, who were in the boat mending their nets, and immediately he called them. And they left their father, Zebedee, in the boat with the hired servants and went after Jesus. So I'd like to begin our time together uh, trying to get us all uh, thinking on the same wavelength, agreeing uh, about something as much as we can and as close as we can. Uh, on any given Sunday as we get into the text, I think that's important that we're all kind of th thinking the same way, at least for just a few minutes. So Jesus, of course, he's the master communicator. We've heard so many sermons from Jesus, but Jesus often began the sermons or prefaced the sermons with a short story or a parable or some sort of uh, real world scenario that got everybody uh, agreeing. And as he was trying to get everybody to think about what God had to say to them, he wanted them to be the most malleable and the most, uh, with the most sensitive heart. So on one occasion, he was preparing a sermon or a message uh, about how God was passionate for finding and reaching people who are lost to him or who have lost their way from him. And this might be hard to understand or hard to believe, but Jesus knew this message would not really land with everybody or that it might even be controversial for some. And you might think, well, why would that be controversial? Well, the religious people, the, the, the really righteous or the self-righteous people, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, they thought that if you were lost, um, you deserved to be. That if you were a good person like them, you would always have been with God and, and you wouldn't be lost or you wouldn't ever get lost. So they were a little bit full of themselves. So they didn't want to hear Jesus talk about God loving lost people because they didn't believe that, that that was true. And because they had really kind of beat down a lot of people in society, the, the people that were far from God, they doubted that God really loved them. And they wondered if God would ever uh, reach out to them because they were told that they were lost for a reason. So uh, Jesus told these parables, these short stories, these relatable stories uh, 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 to try to get this, these two crowds of people who were all in the, in the audience that day, he was trying to get them to agree with each other. And, and they rarely agreed with he, each other or really, really with, with Jesus at all. So he told a, a short story about a shepherd uh, who uh, lost one sheep. And he had 99 still in the fold, but this shepherd uh, really cared about that one sheep. And this shepherd went to find that one sheep. And you might would say, well, you know, you have 99, what's with the one? And, and it's probably a runt. It's probably, uh, you know, getting into trouble. It's probably not really worth caring for. Um, you know, it probably shouldn't have wandered away. It probably doesn't have a lot of good sense. So why don't you just let it go? But Jesus said, no, no, no. Uh, the shepherd cares for his sheep. He feels responsible for his sheep. So suddenly, the Pharisees and the, and the sinners, the tax collectors and the righteous religious people, they all started shaking their heads. Well, yeah, I guess a shepherd would care for his sheep. And I guess a shepherd would leave the 99 
to go chase after the one. And, and suddenly the people from across the room were looking at each other and they thought, oh, I'm not supposed to agree with them because we're supposed to be different. But Jesus had a way of getting everybody to kind of shake their heads at the same time. Um, he told a parable about a woman who lost some money, lost a coin, a, a coin that was of great value, so kind of like a silver dollar, but probably worth a lot more than that. Uh, she turned the house upside down trying to find the money, and, 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 and everybody in the crowd thought, well, yeah, you would do that. If you lost a great amount of money, you would dig around everywhere you had to find, everywhere you had to look to find that money. So, so I always think if Jesus did it, then we should try to do it. So as, as Jesus would get people uh, thinking on the same wavelength, I, I, I feel like that's a good place and a good way to start when we're when, when trying to communicate to people. So um, I want to talk to you all about something that um, we might not want to admit, um, but it's really true about all of us. And, and kind of going to poke fun at us, maybe at, at all of us, but I'll poke fun at myself too. Um, I want to talk to you all about how we're all a bunch of hypocrites when it comes to this one particular area of our life. Now, maybe you're a hypocrite in more than one area. I don't know. But I just want to talk about how we're hypocrites in one particular area of our life. I know that the H word, it's kind of, it's, you know, kind of makes us feel a little bit bad when someone says, hey, you're a hypocrite. Hypocrite just means, you know, we kind of hold people to different standards than we hold ourselves, right? It, the word means actor, but it, it kind of means, hey, I'm going to make a big deal about something, but I kind of am, am guilty of something similar in my own life or, or you know, uh, somewhere around that. So we've all got strong opinions about different things, right? Uh, Sometimes it's hard to keep those opinions to ourselves. Um, and, and really, if people weren't so wrong, we wouldn't have to share our opinion. <laughs> you know. But uh, we, we all do this really egregious thing, and there's this, really, uh, real, this one area of our life where we all kind of do something that's just really hypocritical. And it, and it really stems from um, with regard to how we spend our time and how we spend our money uh, versus what we determine others, how others spend their money or spend their time and how we deem that what they're doing is a waste. So we do whatever we do with our time, with our money, with our lives, and often we look around at people and we think, I just don't understand why people spend their time and money the way they do. Now, you've probably done this before, right? You look at somebody, maybe you tell your family this or your kids or your parents or somebody in your family, you just kind of have to tell them even though they didn't ask you your opinion, you just give it to them because that's just what you do, right? And maybe you think this or maybe you say this to people, I just don't know why you waste your time on that. Um, and, and again, it's none of your business, but we still do this, right? That's just kind of how we are. We're people and people are bad at, bad at this or, or really, really good at this, however way you want to look at it. Um, we often really examine people's lives and we think, I just don't know why they waste their time on that. I just don't know why they waste their money on that. It's none of our business. But we just do it anyway. We can't help ourselves. I, I don't know how many times people have said things to me um, about how I, you know, something I'm into or something I, I spend my time doing or spend my money on. And, and people think, you know, hey, you know, wh why do you do that? And I'm thinking, well, why, are you, why do you care? You know, why, 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 are, you, why are you worrying about me? Um, but, but I often find myself thinking the same thing about people. Uh, even if I try to keep those thoughts to myself, it uh, doesn't make me any less guilty. Um, I still have them and it reveals something about me. And I think this reveals something about all of us. And I think we're just a little, a little hypocritical in this one area of our life. So let's say you have a hobby. Uh, you have a hobby, and that hobby means a lot to you. Uh, you spend a lot of time on that hobby. You spend a lot of money on that hobby. You spend a lot of energy investing into that hobby. But you can't, for the life uh, of you, figure out why someone else is so invested in their hobby or their pastime or their interest. I mean, what a waste. Does anybody see the hypocrisy in that? And, and again, you might not go and say that to them, but you think it, right? You, you think it sometimes. Maybe you don't have a hobby. Maybe you just have an addiction and you just pour your money into something that's just a waste, right? And you just do it. And, and uh, again, meanwhile, you, you just can't figure out why they are wasting their time or their money on whatever they're spending their lives doing. And I'm not trying to make anybody feel bad about doing whatever you want to do with your time, your money, right? You, you know, not yet at least. We'll get to that later. Uh, but, but I just want to lighten up the, the mood a little bit and, and, light, and open our eyes to this hypocrisy in our lives that we're just often totally oblivious to. I mean, you know, 
you might pay ten, you might pay for ten different streaming services and subscriptions, but you think, why do they keep spending their money on that mess? Uh, you can't believe they collect those. You can't believe they go there all the time. Why would anyone want to have to take care of all those animals or attend to all those things that come along with their pastime, right? You think, why, why, why would you do that? Meanwhile, uh, hey, I've got to go do my weekly things and I've got to go spend my money or spend my time, hundreds of thousands of dollars or whatever, doing what I do. Um, but I just can't figure out why you do what you do. We do that, don't we? Um, now, we're, we're kind of a funny creature. Needless to say, we all do this. Uh, if we just kind of read the room and solve the riddle, I think we can figure out why we do what we do. And it's not really a, a hard nut to crack. Uh, I know why. I know why you spend your time and your money. I know why you invest your life into that thing or into those things. It's because you love it. Right? The reason why you spend your time doing what you do, the reason why you spend your money on what you spend your money on, the reason why you invest your life on what you invest your life into, is because you like it. You love it, right? And maybe you don't like it, but someone that you love likes it. Someone that you love loves it, right? And your wife, your husband, your kids, or your family, they are into it. So because you love them, you're into it as well because you just want to make them happy. So guess what? You know why they, you know why he or she spends all their time and all their money and invests what, all that they are into whatever, they, whatever you think is a waste? You know why they do that? Because they love it. You know why they spend their time and money on that stuff? Because they like it or someone that they love likes it and, and, and wants it a part of their life. Turns out we all love different things. We all are interested in different things. And a lot of the time that we have, uh, we have a hard time appreciating other people's interests uh, who are different than us. Um, you know, we say silly things like, why would you do that? Why would you spend that? Why would you go there? Uh, but they do it and we do it. We all do it because we follow our heart. And my heart leads me to different things and your heart leads you too. And you may never understand why I do what I do and I may never understand why you do what you do. And that's the thing about our hearts. Sometimes what we do and what we're into only makes sense to us. If y'all looked over how I invest my time and my money, I'm sure some of you would think, Justin, this thing right here, that's such a waste. And I'm sure I could probably say the same thing to you. And I'm sure we could all say the same thing to each other. Ultimately, though, uh, all of us are going to continue to do what makes us happy or makes the people around us happy and whatever takes care of them and provides for them. And isn't it amazing how our priorities change or are influenced by love and by the, the care that we have for those that we love? And, and for many of us, most of us, the reason you keep grinding it out at that job, the reason you keep um, pushing forward in unideal situations that maybe frustrate you is because you're doing it for more than just yourself. You're doing it because you love somebody and you want to continue to help them and support them the best you can. So bringing this all back to our faith in this series in particular we've been in and that we are concluding today. Um, we've been doing a series called We Believe, uh, and we've learned and we've talked about how we believe in redemption, that God redeems us from our sin, that God's number one, the, the number one priority of the church, the number one message of the church is that, hey, uh, we want to tell people that are far from God that God loves them and that God can redeem them, that God can forgive them. Uh, we also believe that that redemption puts you into a relationship with Jesus, that it's not just a casual affair, it's not just an in a distant affair, or it's not just, hey, I go to church and I see him once a week, but he is something, he is someone that you know, that you walk with, that you talk with, that you really revolve your life around. Uh, we, we believe that he renews our lives and, and he restores us and gives us a new life, changes us, changes our, our, you know, our hearts and, and from our flesh and, and gives us his spirit. Uh, we believe this new life is so powerful that we've been reconciled to God, that God has forgiven our sins. So having received that reconciliation, we will reconcile with others that as God has loved us, we'll love others. As God has forgiven us, we will forgive others because if we've been forgiven, we will forgive. But we also believe there's something else that's important enough to make our top five list because there's just four so far on the list. We believe that following Jesus will impact us in such a way that following Jesus will have such an impact on us that, will, that his love for us and gift unto us will impact us in such a way that it will cause us to reorder and rearrange our priorities, specifically with, what's, with regarding what's at the top of all of our list, the top of all of our priorities. So this leads me to a question. Did you know 
that Jesus taught that everyone, that includes you, that includes me, everybody means everybody. Did you know that Jesus taught that everyone who follows him will eventually and ultimately come to the place where they are driven by the same shared motivation and passion? Did you believe, do you know that Jesus, Jesus taught that we will all eventually, if we're following him, as we should, that all of us will come to a place to be driven by the same motivation and passion. Did you know that Jesus taught that if we follow him, if we understand what he's done for us and how he's impacted us, that we would become most passionate about one particular area? We would become more passionate about this one thing than anything else? He didn't teach that you would suddenly lose your uniqueness or your interest and passions that you have had always. He didn't teach that you would just completely disregard those things. But he did teach that our passion for him and this one cause in particular would eventually supersede every other area and take priority over every other area of our lives. He didn't say that we'd get saved and instantly take on this mindset. He didn't say that we would all of a sudden, at a point in time, make this our number one priority. But he, but he said, as we follow him, as we further understand what he's done for us, as we fully understand what he's done, we would begin reshaping and reprioritizing our lives, who we are, what we do, what we have, how we live, and we would bow at this one altar in particular. As in, when this priority becomes number one, when this one thing becomes everything to us, we will begin considering how we manage our lives, our money, our time, our resources, our gifts, our talents, with the consideration and support for this one thing. Now, you may already be here where this is your one priority, but for most of us, if we're being honest, it's not our top priority, and we aren't where we need to be, and, and that's okay. But I know what you're thinking. Can Jesus really have that much influence on our lives so as to knit our hearts around something so intently that we give preeminence and priority to it over all other passions? And how could he make all of us who are so different, so unique, all of us have this one shared passion at the top of our list? Here's what I know. When Jesus came on the scene, he called people to follow him and believe that if they leaned into what he was offering, that they would be convinced there was no greater pursuit than this one. He promised people redemption from God, a relationship with God, renewal from God, reconciliation with God. He believed that once we got a hold of all that and truly let it register with us what God was doing in our hearts, that we would be willing to reorder and rearrange and reprioritize our lives, that we would seek him first and put him first. And as a result, we would feel the urgency and see the joy in doing this one thing or making this one thing our top priority. So Peter tells us how Jesus came into his life. He tells us that Jesus first came on the scene after John the Baptist, who paved the way, was put in prison. So Jesus comes preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. So the good news. And he, he, he recounts the first sermon he ever heard Jesus preach in verse 15. The time is fulfilled, as in the time is now. The kingdom of God is near. It's at hand. God's hand is on the door. It's about to open. It's going to change our lives. And his message was, repent and believe in the gospel. So, so Jesus, Peter says, the first word I heard come out of Jesus' mouth was this word, repent. And this really, this one word encapsulates really where we're going today. Repent means to change your mind. Change your mind. Not change your life, because your life will change once you change your mind. That's the idea. But, I, but literally, he's saying, turn away from vanity. Turn away from the stuff that, that, that you might not think is a waste. But, but Jesus says, hey, compared to me, it is, right? Turn away from vanity and turn towards this one purpose. And, of course, that purpose is Jesus at the center of our lives. He called us to believe the gospel. Now, the gospel is what we've went over the last couple of weeks. It's the redemption that we have from God. It's the relationship we can have with Jesus. It's the renewal we find in Jesus. It's that power of reconciliation we find through Christ. Having received all that, we are compelled to repent, to totally turn our lives over to Jesus and say to him, what's your will for us? Where are you leading us? What's your desire for us? So Jesus believed the power of the good news was enough to turn our hearts toward him, to turn our hearts all in his direction. He invites us to repent 
to reorder and rearrange our lives. To, as he says in Matthew, seek first his kingdom. He says, hey, y'all, the kingdom is here. Set your eyes on it. You don't miss what God's about to do. You don't admit what, miss what God is inviting you into. So repent as in turn away. Your sin is always making you turn away from God. So Jesus says every single day, we've got to make a conscious effort to turn back towards him, to keep our eyes on him. God's hands on the door. We don't want to miss what he's about to do and what he's invited us to be a part of. And we've got to trust that if we're going to seek him first, that means we're going to seek some other stuff second, third, and fourth. But we can believe that if Jesus says, hey, I love you, and I've got your best in mind, we can trust that God's going to take care of all, all that other stuff. The stuff that's really just placeholders for the real thing anyway. So Jesus, as he demands more, and as following him demands more, we won't regret or resist having to give more of our lives to him because we see the value and the joy and the purpose Jesus told a parable one time. It's my, probably my favorite parable. It's one verse, my favorite parable that he told. Uh, he told a parable about the process of repentance in our lives as we see what he's done, as, he, as we see what he's doing, and we feel what he's inviting us into. He said this in Matthew 13. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, and a man found it and covered it up. Now, why'd he cover it up? Because he couldn't, he couldn't afford it at the time. It's kind of like you've got your Amazon cart and you've got all the stuff that you save for later below it and if you added all that stuff up, it would be thousands and thousands of dollars and you've you got to kind of save it for later, right? It's kind of like when you go to the store and back in the day and, and I got put in mall jail for this, y'all know the story, but I hid something under some stuff because I didn't want somebody else to buy it, but I didn't want to buy it yet, right? So this man found this treasure and we don't know, he just didn't have the, he didn't have the means to take it home with him or he didn't have his life in order to take it home with him. So what did he do? He went home, he went back and sold all that he had. Not depressed about it. Not frustrated about it. He went in joy and totally blew up his life so he could buy the whole field and search for that treasure. Isn't that amazing? that something would get our attention so powerfully that we'd be willing to do, like, do that. And you think, I don't know if I'd do that for Jesus. Well, maybe you just don't know who Jesus is like Jesus says you can know him. What does a life with this sort of devotion and dedication look like? To where or to what does repentance and seeking Jesus first lead us? So uh, as we follow this exchange between Peter and his original disciples, and as we see where they end up and what becomes of their life, if we follow him in repentance, if we are willing to reprioritize and rearrange our lives for his kingdom, we will end up where Jesus says they would end up. In verse number 17, he meets, he meets Simon Peter, he meets Andrew, and he says to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers. Of men. Now, we understand that Jesus used the fishing analogy because they were fishing, but let's, all, let's just think about this for a minute. There was a lot of work he had to do in their lives before, he would, before they would ever become fishers of men, before they would ever make disciples, right? He had to teach them about redemption. They had to, I mean, if you met somebody that wasn't a Christian, you wouldn't say, hey, let me tell you what, what, what God wants you to do. God wants you to become a, 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 a disciple maker. God wants you to become a minister. God wants you to start fishing for people. We would say, whoa, 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 whoa. You got to tell them about redemption first. You've got to tell them about a relationship first. You've got to tell them about what the, the new life. And, and yeah, we, we've learned all that, right? But Jesus meets these raw, completely unchurched, uneducated sinners. And the first thing he says to them is he says, Hey, Peter, let me tell you what you're going to become when you follow me. You're going to do what I do. You're going to make disciples like I'm making disciples. You are going to reach people for God in the same way that I've reached you for God. And again, we would think there's so much work to be done before Peter gets there. But Jesus tells us the end game at the very beginning. That's pretty interesting, isn't it? To seek first the kingdom, to repent and pursue the king with all of our hearts is to give our lives over to reaching people for him. Jesus gives us a preview of where he wants all of us to be and where he expects 
all of us to arrive at. Once we've got a hold of the gospel, we've been redeemed, we've got a relationship that's thriving with God, we have been renewed and we are walking in restoration, we're walking in reconciliation, we're forgiving others, people are, you know, we're loving people like God loves us. Once we've got all that stuff figured out, he says, let me tell you where you're going to end up one day. Let me tell you where every single one of you better be aiming to be one day. Everyone that follows Jesus will become, that's a big statement, but you will become passionate about reaching others for him. And God's going to be so sovereign in your life in such a way that this will become the most passionate thing in your heart. We believe that those who repent will reorder their priorities and live their lives to reach others for Jesus. Now, my unveiled and direct goal for the next 15 minutes or so is to be as clear as I can as to why all of us should consider what Jesus prophesied over these original four disciples and how that same vision has been cast over all of us. You know why we remember and celebrate these original followers of Jesus? You know why we know their stories and why they've been passed down and talk, talked about and sang about and preached about for 2,000 years? You know why people name their kids after these fishermen and why the emperors and kings of 2,000 years ago are footnotes? You know why you name your dog Caesar, but you name your kids John, Simon, Peter, James, and Andrew? Right? You know why cities and cathedrals and churches have been named after these men? You know why these men are enshrined in church history? You know why these men are lifted up especially? Not because, not because they were followers of Jesus. There were dozens and hundreds of followers of Jesus and have been millions since. And on that note, there were hundreds of people named John and Simon and Andrew and, and uh, James that followed Jesus. These were not unique men and their names weren't unique and their stories weren't unique. You know why we know these individual names and we celebrate their lives in particular? Not because they followed Jesus, but because they believed in and spent the rest of their days reaching people for Jesus. Does that make sense? It's great that they follow Jesus. Good on them. We'll see them in heaven one day because of that. But you know why we celebrate them as heroes? Because they gave their lives reaching people for Jesus. They experienced the transformation that God gives us through redemption, restoration. They were, they were changed by the relationship they had with God, by the reconciliation they had through Christ. So they spent the rest of their lives as they learned about repenting, as they learned about what it meant to reorganize their lives, they made their life goal reaching people for him. Now I want you to turn over to chapter 13 of Mark's gospel. And I want you to look at something very, very important. They discover very quickly that God was working in their world, that they discovered that God had one agenda as he sovereignly moved all the chess pieces of the world around. Whether the how nature was going, how the kingdom of the world were going, what was going on in the world, that God was sovereignly working over the world in this one particular way or so that this one particular thing would become the most important thing to all of us. So over in Mark 13, we're going to read a text where the disciples were asking Jesus about the kingdom. They thought they were in the last days. They thought that when he said the kingdom's coming that they were about to go from this life to the next and that God was going to give them peace and happiness and all the stuff that we think about when we think about heaven. But when they ask him about it, they actually find out what Jesus was talking about when he spoke of his kingdom and what he meant when he said, seek it first. He didn't mean sit back and wait on it to come, but that they would participate in its rollout plan. And he says to them, I want you to pay attention to what's going on in the world. Because these things are happening so that you might feel the urgency to get on board with God in this particular area so that you might become most passionate about reaching others for him. Now listen to what he says in Mark 13, verse 3. He sat down on the Mount of Olives opposite of the temple. Peter, James, John, Andrew, the same four are with him. And they ask him privately, tell us when will these things be or when will the end come? When will, what will be the signs of when these things are about to be fulfilled? 
And Jesus answered and said to them, beginning, or began to say, Take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and will deceive many. As in there will be many people that will come to, on this world or come through this world, and they will promise you, I'm going to solve all your problems. They will present themselves as a Messiah-like figure that wants you to vote for them, that wants you to support them, that wants you to put everything that you've got, or, you know, focus on them. They'll run for office, and you will be deceived by them if you're not careful. Now, that happened in their day, happens in our day, right? He says, many will come in my name or as if they are anointed by God and say, I am God's Savior to you. They might not say it like that, but that's kind of what the message they're presenting to you. He says in verse 6, 7, you will hear of wars, rumors of wars. Don't be troubled, for such things must happen, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, against, uh, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines and troubles and plagues. These are just the beginning of sorrows. But watch for yourselves, for they will deliver you to councils, and you will be beaten up in the synagogues or the churches or in the courtrooms. You will be brought before rulers and kings for my sake and for a testimony to them. And, and verse 10 is the, is the payoff. And the gospel must first be preached to all the nations. So Jesus, when will the end come? What's it going to look like when the end's getting near? He says, hey, let me tell you, it's going to get bad. There's going to be a lot of chaos going on. Wars, rumors of wars, threats from one nation to another, all kinds of crazy disasters that you can't even keep up with, earthquakes here, natural disasters over there, all sorts of famines and plagues and all things that just make your head spin. But all these things are happening so that you might understand the urgency so that you might come to the conclusion that the gospel must be preached because all those things are happening to get you to see the importance to preach the gospel to all the nations. And the end will not come until God determines that you have done your diligence at making much of his name, at reaching the nations him let me just ask you this if Jesus said this 2,000 years ago how much more should this apply now considering the escalation of the magnitude right that we've built up over the last 2,000 years now more than ever reaching the nations reaching the world for Jesus must be our number one priority all these signs are meant to remind us and guide us we can tune it out. We can go about our business as if something more important is going on. But all the chaos, all the trials are being used to remind us that we must proclaim the gospel to the nations. And until we do, God's going to keep bringing this chaos so that we might, he might get our attention. God's message to you today, if your heart isn't on this, if you, if you aren't in on this, if you don't think about this, that you should step back and consider what's going on in the world around you and remember what verse 10 tells us. Now, down in verse 28, Jesus kind of summarizes this all like this. Look down there. Now, learn the parable from the fig tree. When its branches have already become tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. So you also, when you see these things happening, know that it is near. At the doors even. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Heaven and earth will not pass away. My words... Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. So they're as true now as they were then. That includes us going and telling our world. And until we do this, the world will keep being shaken so that we might be compelled all the more. You wonder, why is all this chaos going on? Why does this keep happening in my life and the world around me? It's because God's trying to get our attention. And God's trying to steer you in this direction. God's trying to lean you in this direction. He says in verse 32, stay awake. Or he says, but, but of that day and of the hour, no one knows. Not even the angels know, or the Son, or the, but only the Father. Take heed, watch and pray. For you do not know what, when the time is. It's like a man going to a far country who left his house and gave authority to his servants to do his work. That's us, right? We've been given the authority to do his work. Commanded the doorkeeper to keep watch. Watch, therefore, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming, in the evening, at midnight, at the crowning of the rooster, or in the morning, lest coming suddenly he finds you sleeping. And what I say to you is stay awake, watch, 
That means that we should be vigilant and focused on our mission. Listen, this, this is where God wants all of us to arrive at. Being passionate about reaching the world for him. Now, I know you've got a lot going on in your life. You, you can't hardly reach the door to, 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 to get to the next part of your life, right? You're trying to just navigate the waters. I hear you. I'm right, right there with you. But this is where God wants all of us to arrive at. And sometimes the, the, the truth of the matter is that the chaos that you're experiencing, the shaking that you're experiencing is God just trying to get your attention about this one thing. Now, this isn't to condemn anybody, but it is to convict us and confront all of us about what we dedicate our lives to. Jesus says, if you're serious about me, if you're serious about entering my kingdom, you will repent and turn toward his plan for your life. At the top of your priorities will be reaching more people for him and with your life. This isn't opt-in. It isn't for super serious devoted disciples who have the time. It's for all of us. Over in Mark 16, you can look there if you'd like to. Mark 16, verse 15, he gives us the great commission. Not as wordy as he is in Matthew, but still as powerful and as true, but actually more punctual. Mark 16, verse 15, he said to the disciples, go unto all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. We hear him make it very clear. Where did he want Peter, James, and John, and Andrew to end up? as fishers of men. What does he say to them in, verse, in chapter 13? Hey, all these things are happening so that you might realize that we've got to reach the nations for, for, for God. Mark 16, go unto all the world. Now, the last time I'll tell you to turn with me is flip over to Acts 1, just a few uh, handful of pages to the right. Acts 1, he's going to return to the disciples after the resurrection. And in Acts 1, you all know the story. He's starting the church. He's got the disciples gathered together in the upper room. And he's giving them the, the rundown of what's about to happen. And before he ascends back to heaven, he gives them uh, another version of the Great Commission. And he, and he tells them that, hey, this is the reason I'm giving you the power of God, the Spirit of God. In Acts 1 verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And then it says after that, they were just, as he ascended, they just kind of looked at him thinking, well, hey, he's coming back soon, isn't he? And the angels say in verse 11, why do you stand there gazing? The same Jesus that was taken up from you will come again. So go get to work. It's what they say. So what does Acts 1-8 tell us? It, it says, first of all, I want you to be a witness to me in Jerusalem. That was their hometown. Reaching the world begins with reaching our world. Does that make sense? Reaching the world begins with reaching our world. It, reaching the nations begins with reaching your community, your workplace, your, your neighborhood, your families, most importantly. But it doesn't stop there. The local church helps propel us forward and, and further. If you read the New Testament, Jesus never commissioned individuals, but always groups of people. He always called us to come together, which is why he built the church. So, so, so. If we're going to reach our world, if we're going to reach more, we're going to have to be committed to bringing the best of us to our church and giving most of us to his cause. The best of us and the most of us. I don't mean how you look, right? The best of us means all you got. The best version that you can possibly be. You have to give the best of you and the most of you. Your time, your energy, your money, everything. Again, I'm, this is Jesus saying, you're going to be a fisher of men. You're going to be a disciple maker. You're going to reach the nations. And the church is to help you do it. The church is to help you accomplish this goal. So we're going to have to be committed to the team that he's made us a part of. See how crucial it is? See how important what we do every Sunday is? See how much it matters that we sing out together, that we are equipped together, that we are prepared for what God's about to do in our lives? See how important it is that you pray for each other, that you pray with each other, that you support one another? Because where you go this week for your mission field, right, we're right there with you, and I'm right there with you, and you're right there with us as we go to our individual and our separate worlds, but we are equipped and empowered together in these services like this. As we bring the best of us, as we bring the most of us together, then and only then are our hearts properly invested in a line and will our churches be sufficiently resourced to accomplish these goals and more. You can, you can read out, and y'all have heard me preach sermons on this. You can read over in Acts 2, Acts 4, 
where the church is just this picture of generosity, where they are literally selling their homes, like the man that sold his field, sold everything and to buy the field. They are selling their homes and giving all the proceeds to the church to help fund the mission. You think, well, they didn't have to do that, did they? No, they didn't have to, but they wanted to. That's incredible, isn't it? What about their lives? What about their families? I don't know how all that worked out. I just know what they did. Nobody made them, but they were compelled. These examples clearly aren't the standard in today's world, but what they were in the early days and throughout history, they have been the goal and the measuring line that the church has constantly been held up against. Throughout every generation, there's a selective few that decide if we're going to impact those that we're capable of, if, God, if we're going to reach those that God has made us able to reach, we must, we must, we must do whatever it takes to reach our generation, to reach the nations for Jesus. Being part of the church is the starting point. From there, from here, we must reckon with how are we obeying the Great Commission. It begins with our day-to-day lives, our conversations, our interactions, but it doesn't stop there. We are called and we are all sent. Now listen, not everybody here is an orator. Not everybody here is a preacher. I get that. Not everybody here can talk and talk and talk and talk and talk like me. I get that. You're introverted. You're extroverted, right? We all have different personalities. I get it. It takes all of us to make it happen, though. God may be calling some of you to uproot your lives and move around the world. He may be calling you in another phase of your life to do that. He may be sending you on the mission field literally. But being a part of the church, especially connected with the mission networks that we are, we have open doors in front of us to serve and we have tons of opportunities through which we can offer support. And here's the reality and what I think we should focus on the most. As Christians, we are called to share Jesus every single day in our own world with our own words. But as church members, we are called to support those sharing Jesus all around the world. Because Acts 1-8 doesn't just say Jerusalem. It doesn't just say Samaria or Judea, which was the county. It doesn't just say Samaria, which was the next door nation. It says the ends of the earth. Not every one of these disciples went to the ends of the earth. Some of them never left Jerusalem. James, the uh, brother of Jesus, becomes the pastor of Jerusalem's church. He doesn't leave Jerusalem. Peter goes on a few mission trips, ends up in Rome. Paul, we know what he became. But some of these guys, they stayed locally. Some of them went international, but they all played a role just like all of you do. You're all on mission. Also, we're called to support those on mission. We're called to directly, to be directly involved in local outreach and indirectly involved with national and international outreach. Over in Acts 11, there's the story of the church at Antioch. And and the beautiful thing, and I encourage you to read it sometime, uh, the, the beautiful thing about Antioch is Antioch gives us a picture of how the people were investing in their church and were dedicated to their church, but also they were investing in supporting other churches and other plants around the world. And it says there in Acts 11 that each disciple determined according to their ability to send relief or send support throughout the world. Fortunately for us, we have more connections and avenues through which we can support than we could talk about in a day we as a, as a baptist church we are a part of a local association we're part of the state convention we're part we have uh, uh, over all of us the north american missions board there's the international missions board so we have so many platforms that are accomplishing and fulfilling the great commission aside from what we do here in our local church there are opportunities to serve and there are missions to support on local, state, national, and global levels. There are ministries that focus on families and, and neighborhoods that, that go from building ramps to helping broken homes to, to tending to those that fall into the hard times to help supporting uh, those in financial struggles. Uh, there, there are uh, college ministries. There's church planning initiatives. There's disaster relief from, from hurricanes and floods and all sorts of things. Our, our network of, 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 of missions and from the top to bottom, they leave no rock unturned in terms of reaching people for Jesus with his love and with his gospel. If you want to get involved, I can tell you who to call. If you want to give together, we can all combine our gifts and it amounts to so much more. Church, here's the thing though. This is not extracurricular work for us. This is our mandate. This is our mission. Does this require shuffling our priorities around? Yeah. Does it require sacrifices? Yeah. If we're going to put at the top of our list, think about it. 
the top of our time, how, sharing Jesus, focusing on love, you know, reaching people for Jesus, I, I don't know, I don't, I don't know how that, how that works. Well, it starts with being a part of your church and being involved in your church, but then it starts with taking opportunities to do others. But, but if you're going to put this at the top of your financial obligation, right, that's going to require a lot of sacrifices. That's going to require a lot of reorganizing in your life. But what did Jesus say when, whenever they questioned him on this? He said, hey, whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost? Such a big task requires a great cost, but we're talking eternal investments here. So we're without excuse with the connections we have. So church, we must calm over our commitments. How do you spend your time? How, do you, how, do you, how, do you, how are you leading your family? And a lot of you, you've got families to feed, you've got families to raise, right? But how are you leading them? How are you teaching your kids what, what is the most important thing in life? Calm over your commitments. Calm over your expenses. How can you reallocate your time and your investments to support the Great Commission above everything else? It starts at your local church, but it goes way beyond that. Church, we will be judged on this. Now, I know. I'm a preacher. And when preachers talk about investments and money, some of you think, oh, he all he wants is my money. Let me be very transparent. My salary package was decreased this year so as not to throttle our ability to be on mission as best we can, right? I'm not here to get rich. I'm just here to serve Jesus, right? I think y'all know that. But it's my job to make sure we know what our mission is, right? It starts at these local churches. It goes way beyond that, right? Paul in 1 Corinthians 16 says, Concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so, are, so you are also to do. On the first day of the week, each of you to put something aside, store it up. That doesn't mean put it in the bank and never touch it. That means store it up to be used, right? You put it in the storehouse because it needs to be given out to those that need it, to the work that's being done. Paul says, hey, I don't want to have to you know, pull it out of you when I get there on Sunday. Bring it and, and provide it because there's a mission to be done. And this is what Paul says in Philippians 4 when people, he says, hey, I don't want you thinking I'm in this for the money. I don't seek a gift, but I seek the fruit that increases your credit. Because when you give to the mission, God, you are contributing to the work. You see that? That you're getting credit, spiritually speaking, eternally speaking, you're getting credit for the work that's being done. He was in prison writing this, by the way. So I'm not preaching this to, to, to say that you're under some threat of being cursed by God if you don't support missions. I'm also not trying to say if you give, God will give you more than you gave back to him because that's not why we do it. I'm preaching this because Jesus said we will be judged as to whether or not we obeyed the Great Commission. He doesn't offer us an incentive. There is no incentive needed. It's the Great Commission says go and tell and we will be judged whether we went and told or supported those that do. It starts at home, it starts in our communities, it goes beyond that. We are called to reach the world for Jesus. We do, do so through sharing, and we do so through making sacrifices and supporting those on the mission. So, we believe, we believe in repenting and reorganizing our lives and our priorities for Jesus. Because we believe in reaching the nations for him. Do you believe that? We all have our passions. We all have our priorities and our commitments. Jesus said you can tell where our hearts are at by what we invest in. Jesus said in Matthew 6, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Where we invest our life, our time, our money reveals where our hearts are at. So where is your heart at compared to where Jesus says it should be? And I got one more question for you before we're done. Where would your life be without your faith? without Jesus. How much is your faith worth to you? I don't know the story of how you came to faith, but I know this much. You came to faith because somebody took serious the command to reach others for Jesus. Might have been your mama, your daddy, your grandpa, your grandmother. Might have been your pastor, might have been your neighbor, might have been your Sunday school teacher, but somebody took this serious, didn't they? Not everyone's brought up like we were. That's why Jesus says, go and reach the world. We all know what reaching us was worth to Jesus. He left the righteousness of heaven to pursue the lost in this world. How much is reaching the world worth to us? What we do with our lives answers this question. 
how we live, how we prioritize answers the question. So are you satisfied with the answer that your life gives you back? Are you satisfied with the answer, is God going to be? More importantly, are the people in the path that God has put before you or the people that you can support, are they satisfied with the answer? Listen, they're either being reached or they're not. And how we spend our lives, how we live our lives, how we invest our lives, all of that makes the difference. We know where Jesus wants us to be. We know what he's doing to get us there. So, will we respond for the first time or for another time to the Great Commission? One One thing's for sure. We are here today because somebody before us did. Right? You're here today because somebody took the Great Commission seriously. They may have shared the gospel with you. They may have supported your church so that you might have a place to hear the gospel. I don't know how it'll happen, but I know that somebody took this so seriously. A mom, a dad, a family member, a pastor cared for you that they reached you for him. How serious do we take this task? Jesus says this is where he wants all of us to be. This is so convicting because there's so many things that get in front of this on our priority list, doesn't, isn't there? But Jesus says this is where I want you to be and this is where you can be if you'll just turn towards me. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I pray all of us would ask ourselves this question. How much is our faith worth? How much is Jesus worth to us? And I hope all of us will think, how did we, how did we get here? How did we get here? Because somebody told us about him. The reason why we have the perspective we have, the reason why we have the foundation we have, the reason why we have the family support that we have is because somebody told us about Jesus. And they reached us because they believed it was important. Lord, I don't know what everybody spends their time and their money and their lives on, but but I know this. You said that the top of our list should be your great commission. Lord, somebody here today, you are calling them to just walk across the street and share Jesus with someone. Somebody here today, you're, you're calling them to go around the world, but every one of us, you're calling us to support those that are doing this on a local level and on a global level. But regardless of how we do it, we're all called to be a part of this from our own words to the support that we give to those that are on the mission field. This is everything. Lord, help us not to just take it lightly. Help us not to think, well, I'm glad somebody told me, but I don't know if I'm into doing that or I don't know if I can afford to do that. God, help us to make this our one priority because this is what we are gonna be held accountable by. Lord, thank you that somebody fished for us once. We were all in need of being saved, and somebody reached out to us. So let that be the spark that compels us to reach out to our worlds. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.